0: What's up, gigging pros? I am so excited today for our episode of the gigging musician podcast. We have someone coming all the way from Panama. Uh, I would like to introduce Robonzo. Robonzo is a drummer, guitarist and singer based in Panama. He is currently the host of the unstarving musician podcast and author of the unstarving musician's guide to getting paid gigs, subtitled how to get booked and paid what you're worth over and over again. Robonzo, I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks for being here.
1: Thanks, man. I'm excited to be here. I really appreciate it. <laughs>
0: For sure. And I love the title of your book because here on the Gigging Musician podcast. We love when our artists get paid what they're worth over and over again. So I feel like our minds are melding right now. Totally, totally. So tell us about yourself as a musician. You know, what, do you, what do you do right now? And then I'll ask about your background after that.
1: Well, I I almost want to start with my background, but I will tell you what I do now. So um, like for the past couple of years, I've been, um, you know, finally set up a, a recording studio at home, really just bought some gear. There's nothing fancy I can record anywhere, but um, bought the gear to record uh, full acoustic drums, uh, which and it lends itself to doing vocals or pretty much anything else I want to do because I have eight or more channels for, for drums. And um, I do occasional gigs where we are. We live in a somewhat rural area in a beach community in Panama. So the music scene is vibrant but small. And uh, so the the gigs are a little um, far and few between compared to what I was used to uh, prior. Um, I lived 17 years in the San Francisco Bay Area in, in San Jose, actually. And then before that a number of years, um, really grew up in Dallas, Fort Worth. And that's sort of where I started gigging. So those markets are both pretty big, as you can imagine. So a little, little less gigging, but um, the Unstarving Musician has kept me super busy learning from other musicians and trying to share um, things like you do on your podcast.
0: Awesome. Well, I'm happy to hear that you are finding some gigs, even in a, you know, less busy spot than what you're used to. So let's dive into your background. I mean, you're a multi-instrumentalist like me, and I love talking to multi-instrumentalists and learning, where did you start and how did you start picking up more than one instrument?
1: Well, you know, we were... Pre-record here, we were kind of going over the, the way you wanted to introduce me. I'm like, yeah, that looks cool. And as you were doing it, I'm like, eh, I probably should have mentioned I'm, I'm a super young guitar player. Uh, so to just back up to where I started, I started playing drums when I was about 13 years old. And if anybody sees this video or seen pictures of me, they can see I'm kind of gray these days. So I've, a number of years have gone by, but um, I was self-taught. I have a little bit of formal education. Along the way, when I was still a teenager, I bought a 12-string Takamine guitar, which I had forever. But I didn't really, other than maybe the first two or three years I had it, I never really dove into the instrument. And then after that, I hardly touched it at all. But um, probably about three years ago, since we've been in Panama anyway, during that time I regained interest in picking up the guitar because I thought I have been playing so long and I've never written any music on my own and I'm not going to do it on a drum set. So I picked the guitar back up and with the help of some friends and actually the guitar in the background that you mentioned earlier was given to me by a friend that um, uh, lives here in Panama. He moved to another part of the country, but left me that, that nice little guitar and uh, so I've been using it. I wrote my first cut, co- well I wrote my first single with that one and then collaborated with another guy on the second one. But most of all I'm a drummer and I've been singing that entire time and I would say probably more in the last like 10 years I started trying to be more serious about um my singing and then I guess if if I want to pretend to be really multi-instrumentalist, I do play hand drums as well.
0: <laughs> oh, awesome. <laughs> That's so cool. So so 13 years as old as when you decided to be a drummer. Was there a reason why you gravitated towards drums?
1: You know, this came up just in the last couple of days. Um, I'm in this marketing program for musicians. And one of the things I was going through this week is kind of developing what they call pillars of content, right? And there were a couple things on there that I had to think about for a while. And one of them was like, you know, Why do you make music? And, you know, why did you gravitate towards your instrument? And I usually just say, I saw the Rolling Stones on TV when I was a kid, which is true. And I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, wow, I want to do that. But then I heard a couple of records also, including a couple of theirs. And I heard um, the uh, song Moby Dick on Led Zeppelin's second album, which is, of course, the famous drum solo by John Bonzo Bonham. And uh, and, yeah, I just... Awesome. I think... Go ahead.
0: Oh, we're having some audio issues right now. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll cut out the audio issues, but I think we kind of got to uh, when you were mentioning Led Zeppelin.
1: Yeah, sure. So I also heard uh, the track Moby Dick on Led Zeppelin's second album, which of course is the famous drum solo by John Bonham. And uh, that, I guess, really got me gravitating towards drums because when I first saw The Stones on TV, I thought, oh, I want to play guitar or I want to sing, you know. And uh, but You know, funny enough, when I was a kid and I was listening to records, I could hear the drum parts and I've heard other musicians talk about this. And so drums were just an easy, natural thing. And then my sister-in-law gave me a snare drum and then my mom gave me a drum kit and it was all over then.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. So your family supported your drumming, unlike my family, which, you know, most people don't realize I actually tried to start on drums. But my parents said you have to pick a quote unquote musical instrument. (laughs) So that's, that's, that's why I started violin, but I got to play drums in the end. Good for Um, you.
1: Good for you. Yeah, there was some, actually, you know, my, my parents really did not me want, did not want me to go into music professionally. And they did a pretty good job of deterring me. uh, But they were super supportive in that, you know, my mom gave me a drum set the bands were always practicing at our house. And then, you know, when I got my own place, that sort of, that trend sort of continued, but yeah, my, my friends, some, a couple of whom went on to have big careers in music kind of still once in a while laugh about um, coming over to my mom's and uh, uh, people coming by to see that in the garage.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. You mentioned bands coming over to play. So when did you join or start your first
1: band? That's funny. I was, Doing it in the garage for a really long time, and uh, for whatever reason, you know the the thing I'd been working on, which was kind of just this party band that really wasn't making any money, was I guess it kind of fizzled out. And there were these two guys in uh, this is in Arlington, Texas, who were younger than me, who had already been playing in clubs and making money. Uh, their uh, prior band had fizzled out and they invited me to play drums. They'd seen me play um, in my garage and invited me to play drums with them in a new band they were putting together. So from that moment forward, I started um, playing uh, paid gigs in in clubs and bars and occasional private events.
0: Wow, that's awesome. So they heard you in your garage and decided, hey, we want you to come play for our band.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I always had a host of really um, good young players. over, And I feel like it's been my life story. I've always had the good fortune of being surrounded by really good players who sort of make it easy for me as much as I try to make it easy for them. So yeah, that's that's how it worked out though. They heard me in the garage and and gave me an opportunity. That's awesome. And
0: you mentioned it, it really is so important, the quality of musician that you hang out with. So if you're hanging out with good musicians, things will come out of that.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I talk about that in uh, my book. And one of the things I've really learned to appreciate about Um, other musicians. I mean, there's many things you want good players. And most of us think about that first and foremost, I guess I want to be around good players and we all do. There's a certain type of good player that I've learned to appreciate. And that's the one who is constantly supporting everyone else and just has a, you know, sort of this calm giving demeanor, even though they may be the best one in the band. And there's a couple of guys that struggle from time to time, which might be me on occasion. They're always really just so supportive. But the other thing, the thing I Really appreciated a lot over the years are musicians who understand that to make a band go, there's marketing involved. And the more people that are involved in that effort, the easier it is for the whole outfit.
0: Oh, for sure. Like if you treat it like a business, then you'll be busier with gigs. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So were you ever the guy who was the guy in charge of all the marketing and everything for a band?
1: I mean, maybe at moments I always, I've always had a marketing mind where, and it's probably those two guys I mentioned that, that hired me. I saw that this was back in the days and I love talking to other people about this where were going down to the Kinko's or whatever and, you know, printing flyers and taking them and stapling them all over walls and things and actually mailing these things out with a stamp on them and everything. But things, uh, you know, things evolved, but those guys really taught me about, um, the effort that goes into getting gigs. And it wasn't just them. I had some peers in the area too, and I immediately started noticing what they did. So it's just always something I've been active in. Um, I, I've i always made a point of asking bandmates to be involved in that with me. So while I, I may be the one that's thinking of it first and foremost, it's always been a, a really pleasant team effort. Now, as a you know, the perspective that I wrote my book on those at a, is as a gigging drummer who was doing gigs in multiple bands and subbing. Mm-hmm. So that sort of becomes a one man show in a way. But still at the same time, I was leveraging marketing efforts of these other bands that were doing their thing for themselves, but it helped me indirectly.
0: Yeah, and that's awesome. Uh, if you're okay with that, I'd love to kind of ask you a little bit about the world of subbing, because I know there are many musicians who listen to both of our podcasts, some of whom, have their own bands but some of whom play for multiple bands or want to play for other bands but haven't started that yet so what's your kind of perspective on the subbing landscape
1: well you know at a at its base the most important thing right is just to be a nice person <laughs> to everyone that you get an opportunity to work with as um One of my good friends has a funny saying, and I hope it's okay to say on the recording, but he just said, just don't be a dick. You know, be a nice person, help out, be supportive. But, um, you know, the other, I would say, of equal importance is just letting people know that you are available and interested. And that means you're going out and seeing other bands, you're talking to other musicians and just making it widely known when I first started doing it, I was probably still posting ads. I don't know if you remember Craig's List, but you know, an online yep. classifieds. Yeah, I it still exists. It. Okay. Well, I, yeah, I, yeah, I haven't used it as a musician in so long. And maybe that's just because, you know, over time we develop such a network, we don't have to do that anymore, but right. I would put ads out on there or just go to these like, um, in California. And I guess elsewhere, these open blues jams where you've got a bunch of high caliber players that are basically, it's like an open mic for blues players, go meet people like that and let them know. And of course, If you're working at your craft, as you know, and you're playing the best you can, and you're trying to look the best you can, that doesn't hurt at all. Uh, People are going to ask if you're available. And that's how it all starts. That's awesome. It sounds
0: like even as a sub, there's a lot of self-marketing you have to do by going to open jams and letting people know that you exist.
1: Yeah, totally. I think so. And I mean, I used to run my own separate email list, you know, and actually I have for years. Like um, I usually have the subject to see me, hear me, and it'll be, you know, who I'm playing with next and where. Um, So I may be super embedded in one band that's sort of a regular thing but i still would my email subscribers you know the band would have a list and then my email subscribers would get stuff for me so that if i was playing with them or any other band i would try to always promote where i was going to be and the lovely thing about subbing is um if you if you're versatile and you're playing different types of venues and genres Uh, things that the public can come see different people will come see you and find you at different places. And and many times you get to use other people audience, other people's audiences, you know, they'll, they'll be like, wow, where are you? Do you play anywhere else? We'd like to come see you sometime. Oh, that's awesome. Could you talk a little bit about your email list?
0: Because I don't think many musicians have one, or if they do, they don't know how to use it.
1: Yeah, you know, it's something I'm very passionate about. Uh, Because there are a lot of musicians who don't mess with it. Social media makes it easy to, you know, not think about. And I don't know. A a lot of people, I guess, just don't realize that email still works. And Mm -hmm. maybe because they don't really like getting into their own email. But, you know, it's been this way forever. But your email list is just about the only thing that you own when it comes to your audience. Um, All those people that follow you on Facebook and Instagram and whatever other social network you're on. You don't own those people; they could go away with an algorithm change fairly quickly, or just diminish fairly quickly. But you'll always have your email list, and you know one of the things I learned because of the podcast, which I think is really cool for musicians like you and I, uh, is that there is a real power in marketing house concerts, uh, merch and behind the scenes stuff when you have people on your email list and you can, you can take them anywhere with you. You can take them to your face, private Facebook groups or your Patreon page, but no matter what, what else happens with those things, you'll still be able to communicate with them uh, by email. And I just, I can't even say how um, important it is. And it's, it's, it musicians today probably, I haven't said this before, but if they treated their email list like they do their Venmo or their PayPal, <laughs> you know, it's the same thing. You just have to mention it and you can make it just as easy for people to sign up by, you know, even giving them your phone or your tablet or have, you know, at your merch table and letting them sign up right then and there.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And when you said treat it like your Venmo or PayPal too, another thing came to mind, which I'm personally, I'm, working on my email list strategy too. It's a relatively new thing for me. But one of the biggest pieces of advice that I heard is treat your email list kind of like a bank account. Not Mm -hmm. in that you mention it, like here's my Venmo handle, but in the fact that you can't always make withdrawals from your bank account if you haven't deposited value into it first. Which means like if you're using your email list just to try to like, hey, buy my next thing without giving anything first you know, you'll lose a lot of subscribers. Does that kind of resonate with you too?
1: Yeah, totally. And email has been such an evolving thing for me because for most of my musical endeavors, I've been just a gigging drummer. And so it was all about like letting people know where I was going to play next. And I was never selling anything other than come, you know, come see us play. Right. Um, But now that I've, you know, dip my toes into the waters of making music and through the podcast and sort of learning from others. Yeah. There are great opportunities to let them know about your latest song release or some piece of merch that you have, but yeah, giving them, you know, some free things like, uh, you know, one of the things that I very more recently started doing um, is uh, letting people being very upfront about my email list and how important it is to support me as an artist on Twitter and letting people know when we get into sort of um, uh, private conversations about music and and find that they're interested in my music, I always let them know that, hey, um, if you want to sort of follow what I'm doing next, and um, and also, by the way, I'll send you some free you know songs and other digital stuff. You can sign up for my email community here. And yeah, I just start by giving them something, including the the uh inside access to the your weird world as i always like to say
0: (laughs) that's awesome and it sounds like you're pretty brilliant about this but always offering them something else like another way to interact with you it's not just like you send them one email that's a dead end you always say if you liked what you saw in this email check me out at this bar that i'm playing next week or here's my free album something like that
1: yeah for sure i mean mine's been a uh Uh, that that's been a more recent journey for me. So yeah, I'm trying to give them things always, and I'm not gigging as an original artist these days. So, and I have two singles out, right? And this was earlier in the year. So, um, I did a, I called it a retrospective of the first single where I went backwards to the earliest demo so they could sort of hear it all the way to where I recorded the first bit on my iPhone, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. struggling through the guitar parts that I'd written. And, um, I, I just, came up with my first piece of merch that if they're interested, they could buy. So uh, leading up to all that, though, I was give, trying to give them things, you know, uh, uh, lyrics, original lyric sheets, and and also just sort of sharing what's going on up in here and sharing things that I hope that they'll find entertaining, helpful, useful in some way.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So I'm not an original musician. I'm super curious about your process to become a songwriter. How did that happen?
1: You know, I, I, I've always wanted to, um, I thought many years ago when I was threatening to, you know, get the gear to, 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 for a home studio, home recording, I thought I'm going to, I'm going to get, um, all the original artists or some of the original artists I've recorded with in the past and do a record with them on which I'll play drums and maybe sing, you know, a couple of their things if they'll give me that opportunity, but um, then, like I said, uh, uh, two or three years ago, I thought I really need to pick the the guitar back up. And, you know, you listen to enough music in your life and you find certain inspirations. And I know you're probably quite accomplished on on violin and, and whatever else you play. So, it, you know, if you just make a habit of noodling around and not being afraid to um, use pieces of things that inspire you, you'll eventually come up with something that just no matter how hard you try, it's going to sound like you... The other thing I know people struggle with is writing lyrics. So if you're wanting to write you know music with uh, lyrics in them, that's just something that you've got to practice all the time, sort of like your instrument. and just uh, quite honestly, you know one thing I did, which was great, and I don't know that I'll do it forever, but I went to some writing workshops that for fiction writers, and I was always thinking songs. And so I actually came up with my first two. Um, singles, I came up with themes for those uh, from that writing workshop. But but I've learned so much in there just about trying to, you know, if I want to write, there are these things I need to do and things I can do to help myself to come up with ideas.
0: Oh, that's awesome. And I love about when you're writing lyrics or, or trying to come up with themes. I love that you went to a non or a fiction workshop that wasn't necessarily related to writing songs, but you got your inspiration from a group of writers and yeah. just find finding ways to like connect the dots between music and other disciplines and how can they help you improve your musicianship that's like genius
1: (laughs) well (laughs) thanks i mean the (laughs) workshop is i met i mean i've always been a bit of a writer um i've written Every, everything from blogging to having done a couple of articles for Forbes dot com and and you know the book and and you know I was an English major so there was always that so I met an um, an author who was also a school teacher who also does these writing workshops who also has this beautiful little retreat at her home nearby in a, a town called Coronado and when she told me about the idea it just sounded really fun and it was and it, it has been I have when the pandemic started I really stopped going. But um, I went. They did a little farewell thing for me and another gal because I'm my wife and I are moving to Mexico in February if all goes as planned. But um, so I I went back for the first time in a while, and it was really fun. And I got to sit with some writers who have developed since quite a bit since the first time I I saw them or uh, heard them read some of their stuff. It was really very cool.
0: Uh, So. You wrote a bunch of songs, obviously, before trying to get your first gig as an original artist. At what point did you feel comfortable reaching out to a venue and trying to get that first gig as you, the original musician?
1: Well, now I'm sorry if I if I painted that picture. So I haven't gigged as an original artist. I actually just only last week had an opportunity to opportunity to play one of my songs at a live venue and it was actually at a cover gig but um the gal who was lead singing the whole thing uh she urged me to you know have us do the song and the guys were great about it we did it so um yeah i have all but two singles at the moment so for me to gig i i have thought about doing some house shows with someone a guitar player um and maybe a bass player and doing like a sort of a combo thing where we do some original music by that artist. And hopefully I'll have another song or two by then and do something of my own there. That would be fun. Um, I, To me, I feel like I need to have at least, you know, 10, 12 songs to go to uh, my own gig, but I suppose I would pro, I, I would honestly go for house concerts first. Cause I really like the whole kind of theater like setting. Everybody's there just to see the music, mm-hmm. but um, yeah. Otherwise I would market to, Original venues, more or less, like I have um, anything else. I think that I yeah,
0: do. yeah, for sure. And what are kind of like what's the vibe of your music? How would you kind of pitch this to a venue?
1: I, I had to think about this pretty hard uh, the other day because uh, this whole Instagram exercise or this content pillars exercise I was telling you about, which was for Instagram, but um, the advice was to think about keywords. That you can use in your name and your bio that describe what you do, and you know you can't be verbose in these little. You know, what's your Instagram name? Not the handle, but the name. You, you only have a limited number of characters, so I just put, um, you know, Rabonzo, rock musician. So at my core, I really love rock. But uh, between you and me, I would say I, I, you know, with the couple things I've done, they've been heavily influenced by my influences in rock, blues, and pop. And the second one was really sort of a homage to to uh, prog rock. So. Yeah. yeah. I hope to I hope to do some other things though. I I've, I've been thinking about um collaborating with someone who plays really good blues and then because of this content pillars and Instagram thing I thought maybe that's not a good idea because I don't want to confuse people about what I do. But one thing I for sure want to do is something uh, along the lines of a, of a ballad. But but everything I do is pretty guitar drums bass and vocals driven.
0: Awesome. Well, I'd love to listen to it and I have listened to a couple of your songs and they're Thank great. You. Thank you. Um, so we're coming to kind of the uh, close to the end here, but what are some rapid fire pieces of advice that you would give to the listeners of the Gigging Musician podcast?
1: Well, I would say to be a subscriber to the Gigging Musician podcast, I would say check out the Unstarving Musician podcast as well to hear what other musicians have to say. And that one's an interview format and we try to cover a lot of this type of ground and it's fun to hear it from the other other musicians perspective but um i I think the one thing i'm really learning is that is so important is there are a lot of ways to make money in this strange new world of music for independent musicians and there is help out there so these podcasts are a great you know platform to start you know finding out about some of the places that you can get help i know that you're um started have Kind of started helping musicians in some of these areas as well. And you know, from listening to a bit of my podcast that I do the same. So yeah, just be open. There are tons of possibilities that I know from personal experience, a, a lot of musicians don't even know about.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So be open to it and try a lot of things. And then when you find one that resonates with you, dive deep into yep, it.
1: Yep, Yeah, that's the key.
0: That's awesome, Robonzo. Well, we're coming to the end of the episode. So, how can our listeners connect with you further?
1: Well, I would say go to unstarvingmusician.com. All of my socials are there. You can even find my, eventually find my personal artist page, but you can find out about the podcast there. And if you are interested in um, learning what I'm learning from other artists and hearing about new episodes and getting a free copy of the podcast, uh, a free PDF version of the Unstarving Musician's Guide to Getting Paid Gigs Um, right on unstarvingmusician.com. You can just join the community by signing up, but with email.
0: Awesome. Well, that's amazing. Thank you so much for all of your answers and connecting with me. Uh, It's just really been great to hear your perspective and hearing about the landscape in Panama too. So uh, to all of our listeners out there, thanks so much for joining us on the Gigging Musician podcast. And always remember, you are just one gig away.